We are in week three of our Meant to Be series, and if you're, if you're maybe new here, this is a series all on God's secrets for sex and relationships, dating and marriage. We're, we're getting into the nitty-gritty of Song of Solomon, which is probably one of the most risque chapters and books in the, in the, in the whole Bible. If, you've, if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to go read it if you're married. If you're not, then uh, don't. But it's a, it's a great, and the chapter that we're in today is probably one of the most graphic chapters of the entire Bible. And yet, here's what I want us to know here. God is comfortable with it. He is comfortable with it. He put it in there. He put it in there. And so we're in the middle of the series. If you haven't, if you haven't heard our series yet, I would encourage you to go back to uh, our podcast and go listen to week one. In week one, we laid down the foundation of what it is to have the mingling of souls, that relationships and, and sex and marriage and all of that was God's design from day one, from Genesis chapter one and two. We see that in the scriptures that God designed it. He said that it was good. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. How beauty and attraction are designed by God. The fact that you have feelings for a woman or you see a woman or you see a man and go, Ooh, that's, that, that looks good right there. That's God. That's a good thing. God designed that to be that way. Uh, but we also said that beauty fades and character stays. That character, more than anything, has got to be the thing that grounds us in our relationships, not beauty. Beauty's good, but we've got to get beyond that. We've got to get to character. Character is, is, is so essential in dating relationships and in marriage. And then we went into week chapter two, which was uh, a week to last week, which was uh, part two that my wife did, and um, and I heard she did a phenomenal job, and uh, and she talked about literally everything that you want to know about how to date and court well. Listen to that message, because uh, I guarantee you, if you would apply that message to your dating experiences, you will have a phenomenal dating experience. And she talked about the importance of community and attraction and character. She talked about the importance of what it is to, uh, to, to, to know that the people that you're dating and, and courting, that you're getting intimate into those stages and finding the real them and letting that come out and not finding out the real them after you get married, which we find out so much. And then today we are in chapter four, uh, which is Solomon has seen this girl. He's wooed this girl. He's praised her. He's, he's called her beautiful. They're starting to get to know each other. They begin courting. And now he liked it so much, he put a ring on it. And, and so he put a ring on it. And now we are in chapter three. You would see the, uh, the bride and the incredible wedding that he has. This wedding that they have in three, I'm not going to share it. Uh, we're going to skip over it, but this wedding is huge. It's massive, so big that he builds his own chariot. Like he's in love with this girl and he goes and he cuts down his own wood, builds his own chariot for her to sit in and ride in. And they have 60 groomsmen. You thought your wedding was big. <laughs> My six or seven that I had, I thought that was huge. He has 60 groomsmen, 60 bridesmaids, huge, huge wedding, huge ordeal. And then we fast forward and we get chapter four, which is wedding night. And that's where we are today is wedding, wedding night. And so let me just start off the, this talk here by saying we're going to get into the details of chapter four. And uh, I, I don't want you in any way to feel awkward in this moment, even though it may feel there's a bit of a tension here uh, as, we, as we go into this, because this is an area that we normally do not talk about. So it's a, I haven't heard too many uh, sermons on uh, the, this topic of sex and, and the details of chapter 4, but I, I think we can learn a lot about it, learn a lot on how to do it, but also more than that, learn the heart behind it and the way that honors God the most. And so the title of this message is God Honoring Sex. And so uh, let's pray. Let's start there. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And, and God, as we dive into this chapter, I believe this is probably one of the most profound chapters in all of the Bible. Because God, you give us an intimate look into the intimate parts of relationship. And God, for, for so many people in here, this topic of sex has scarred them, has hurt them, has brought pain in their life. 
And my prayer today, more than anything, Jesus, is that you would heal hurts. And where people have been abused in this area, there would be forgiveness and healing. For marriages, that there would be healing. I pray that you would challenge men today in this area. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge women in this area. And God, that we would walk out of this place not enthralled with sex, but enthralled with you. God, enthralled with you. More in love with you. And we say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's be honest. When you turn on the television, you surf the web, you go to the movies, you walk into Walmart and you are in the magazine aisle of Walmart, literally everything is covered with something that is in regards to sex. It is everywhere. Billboards, everywhere. It's everywhere. And Satan has taken something that is so sacred, so holy, and so fruitful and meaningful, and he has twisted it and distorted it and made it so damaging and destructive and devastating. And so today, I want to take what Satan has flipped, and I want to bring us back to the way God designed it to be for our marriages and how holy and sacred this thing is. Because if you, there's a survey that I read actually this week that says 79% of women will have had sex before they got married. Now listen to this one. 93% of men will have sex before they get married. You think this is a big deal? It's a very big deal. That means 9 out of 10 men will have already had sex before they got married. I mean, we've got one virgin in the bunch. And 73% of women will do that, which means we've got seven women that have already experienced this before they, were, they should have. And so I, I believe personally that that the families are more torn apart, not in the dining room, not in the living room, but more families are torn apart in the bedroom than anywhere. Because I believe if we can get this right, we're going to save some marriages. I'm, I'm going to tell you, that's how powerful sex is. Because when it's done wrong, you see how it destroys them. You see how it destroys them. Two people fall in love and they love each other and they can't, they can't just help it but, but be together and they, they go into this act before marriage and it just destroys it, destroys it. And I'm going to show you how this works. But first, I want us to take an in-depth look at Song of Solomon's 4. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Song of Solomon's chapter 4. And uh, you should have some notes. You should have, uh, also we'll put it up on the screen. But uh, this is going to be a, 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 an intimate time. And now, you know, the wedding, wedding day is a big day. Women dream of that day. They, they plan for that day. They, they've been planning for that day since they were three. And so wedding day is a huge day. And the man has planned, been planning nothing for the wedding day and everything for the wedding night. <laughs> and, it, and, and, and you know how the wedding day can be very awkward, especially for those, Lindsay and I were virgins, and thank God, by the grace of God, we were virgins, and so the wedding day can be very, can be very awkward with your groomsmen, because all your groomsmen are like, hey, hey, you know, you're like, shut up, and then all the bridesmaids, like, are you ready, you're like, I don't know, am I ever ready, you know, and then like, you're never looking at your father-in-law in the eye, you know, you just kind of always... You know, hey, how you doing? You know, you like never, you never pay attention to your father-in-law at all times because he's like just staring at you, you know. So it's a big moment. And, and here we are in, in Song of Solomon's chapter 4, and we get, God gives us a very inside look into that night. And so they have, um, you know, they're, they're, they're no longer with all of their bridal party and they have gone to the hotel and Song of Solomon's chapter four is literally the beginning of the hotel room experience. <clears throat> and so let's catch up with them here. Let's, let's write some notes real quick here <clears throat> before, before I share this. The first and foremost, I want you to write this down. God honoring sex starts long before the bedroom. God honoring sex starts long before the bedroom. Now I want you to, let's, let's read together. <clears throat> so chapter four, verse one. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Behold, you're beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind 
the veil. Now, you got to imagine this. She, he's not speaking of her eyes. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's not just speaking just of her physical eyes, even though I think he thought those were beautiful. The eyes are the window to where? Into the soul. And so he's speaking yet again into her soul. You, you're beautiful. They're walking into this room. They know what's about to go on, and he just begins to start speaking life over her. You are beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Now watch what he says. <clears throat> he says, your eyes are doves behind your veil. And Dolly, she's still got the veil on, pulling it off. And he says, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. I don't know exactly what that means, but now let me just say this real quick. Lindsay and I have been kind of going this banter back and forth in this series. I've been, I've been using a lot of Song of Solomon's pickup lines on her. <laughs> Hadn't been working well, I can just tell you right now. Guys, just learn. I tried to pull off this hairs like a flock of goats, and that did not go well. Okay? So this is a whole nother time and culture. But undoubtedly, this is, what she, this is what's happening. In those days, Jewish women would always have their hair up. It was always up. And so now she's letting her hair down. And he's like, oh, and I like that. I keep that down. Okay, that's what he's, I'm going to give you the interpretations for this. Okay, all right. So he says, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. This is about to get real funny. Your teeth, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young you got your teeth, baby. <laughs> you got teeth. This is awesome. And the best part is, they all got twins. You got all of them. You got all your teeth. Now, this is a big accomplishment because, listen, there was no dental floss or dentist back in those days. So this is a big deal, you know? I mean, let's not play this off. This is a big deal. Baby, you got teeth, and they look sexy. They like a flock of shorn ewes. Yet again, I don't know what that is, but he's got them. Now look at verse 3. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Now I want you to notice something that's going on, because... He's paying very, very careful attention to all the details. Solomon didn't walk in, you know, he didn't carry over the threshold and then put her down and go, come get you some, mama. <laughs> like, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He begins to, be, to say the things. And, and notice what he does. He's systematically starting from the top, and he's working his way down. He, was, he wasn't like, oh, your eyes are beautiful, and your breast. You know, like he didn't do that. He said, your eyes, and your cheeks, and your hair, and he's about to say, your neck. I mean, like he's like going through every single little part. What is he doing? He, he is disarming her before he's disrobing her. Men, we could take some notes here. I'm just letting you know, okay? Because here's how this works. Men, listen. Okay, I'll get to that in just a minute. All right. He's not in a quick hurry. He's not like, let's get this going. Take it off. Come on. He's spending time speaking into her value. He's taking time speaking into her beauty. And he's working his way down. Now, we all know this. We've heard this analogy before. Men are like microwaves. Women are like crock pots. Y'all know how that works, huh? You want to nuke something, just throw it in the microwave, 30 seconds, you're good to go, okay? Women aren't that way. They're not that way. They're a crock pot. It takes, takes 30 minutes to get it up, but here's the cool thing. Once, you, once it's hot, you can unplug it, and it stays hot for a long time. We're about to apply the Word of God to our lives right here. So I'm giving you, a, I'm giving you guys some, some tips here. It's a crock pot. Because here's the deal. Men, you, men are always ready. Like, we can turn anything sexual. You know? Like, hey, baby, I need you to come stir the pot. Oh, I'll stir the pot. You want me to stir that pot? I'll stir that pot. Hey, baby, I need you to go put the kids to bed. Oh, you need me to put you to bed, too? I mean, we can turn, we can turn anything 
into something. Am I the only one here? Okay, we can turn anything into sexual, okay? <laughs> Men are always ready. Always. Anytime, anywhere, any place. Let's go. I can flip the switch. Women aren't that way. Women aren't that way. And Solomon knows that. And Solomon begins to slowly begin to continue to speak into her value, to speak into her worth, continue to speak into her beauty. He begins to say all this. Now, I want you to write this down. Before there's any physical intimacy, there's emotional intimacy being built. Before there's any, he hasn't even touched her. He hasn't even touched her. Before there's physical intimacy, there's emotional intimacy that's being built. And we have got to remember that as men. Because what do you think, let me ask you this, what do you think is happening to all of her fear and nervousness? What do you think is happening? All of that is leaving. There's confidence that's growing within her. You might want to write this down. Insecure women who don't feel safe don't make good lovers. Insecure women who don't feel safe don't make good lovers. So one of the things as men, and we learned this in week one and week two, was that Solomon was the best at making her feel safe and secure. She was always talking about how safe she felt around him and how secure she felt when she was with him. And if a woman doesn't feel safe, she feels used, she feels feels pushed, if she feels devalued, she feels like she's just an object This isn't about having sex with a body. It's about having sex with a soul. And so Solomon is speaking to her soul. As much as he's speaking about her body, he's speaking to her soul. It's it's what we saw in chapter 1 when she goes, you know, she was insecure because she'd been working in the fields for so long. And she she was wrinkled and her her skin was was all burnt from being outside. and, And she didn't want him to look on her because of the way that she looked. And so Solomon kept going, you're beautiful. Chapter one, go read it. Before he's, there ever even a relationship, he's just speaking beauty over her. He's speaking into who she is. And then in chapter two, as they're dating and courting, he's continually speaking this over her. In chapter two, so she's insecure in chapter one. Chapter two, verse one, she's like, I'm a lily on a field. <laughs> right? Y'all, y'all did that last week? So in chapter one, she's like, don't look at me. Chapter two, she's like, I'm beautiful. What happened? He spoke that into her. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can watch people walk in through that door, husbands and wives, girls that are getting dating by a guy, and I can watch the character and the appearance of that woman and know exactly how that man treats her. Because she's walking like this, or she's not talking to anybody. You can tell. That guy has created her to be that way. And you know why? Usually it's because he's insecure. He's insecure. And so we're speaking. Remember, God-honoring sex starts long before the bedroom. Now let's, let's go to number two. God-honoring sex is passionate. This is, it's passionate. Let's look in, in verse five. Well, let's look in verse four. So your neck is like the Tower of David, Built in rows of stones, on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. What is he saying? You're confident now. You hold your neck up high. You don't seep down in despair or in insecurity. You hold your neck up high. And then verse 5, the one you have all been waiting for. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies. All right, let's stop. Okay, fawns are baby deers, right? Yeah. I'm going somewhere. Hold on. Men, let me ask you this. If you see two fawns in a grazing in a lily field, which I don't know how often you see lily fields, but let's paint a picture here. How do you, how do you approach two fawns? How do you approach two fawns? Very slowly, gently. Y'all with me here? You don't like, "Ah!" you don't go tackle a fawn. You don't go groping a fawn. You don't go, you don't go wring a fawn's neck. Like you don't do that. Gently, 
Because here's the deal. You run and go after your fawns. Your fawns are not grazing in the field. They're running for the forest now. Y'all with me? Slowly, gently. I'm, I'm teaching you something. Carefully. So let me do a side note here, and I'm going to speak to men, and then I'm going to speak to women about this, about passionate, about God honoring sex is passionate. Men, you've got to work on your approach. You've got to work on your approach. Approach matters, especially when it comes to sex. Approach matters. It matters. This is, this is why it is stupid for men to watch porn. And watch. Because what they watch on a screen, what they see, this, this happening, this porn that stuff that's happening on a screen between a guy and a girl, they immediately think, my girl wants to do that too. And they take what's happening on a screen and they put that onto a girl and that, their girl or their wife wants nothing to do with what that was. They don't want to do anything like that. And so what they end up doing is they end up taking something that's passionate and slow and meaningful and they make it all about, let's hurry up, let's go. You know what I mean? Hard and all this stuff. That's what porn does to relationships. It destroys it because men begin to put that porn star in their bed as their wife. And they begin to treat their wife like that. It's the real deal. It's damaging and it's destructive. And men, we have got to watch our approach because porn doesn't show you what sex is. It shows you what lust is. That's what porn does. It shows you what male lust is. Now it's becoming a female lust too. It's not just a men's problem, which is something that's changing in our culture. But we've got to watch our approach Men, you've got to care for her. You've got to build her up. You've got to speak words of life to her. You've got to watch the way you approach this. Remember, yet again, he's not saying, come get you some. He's not doing that. He's disarming her before he's disrobing her. He is disarming her. He's speaking words of life, speaking into her soul. Approach matters, guys. We've got to be careful about this. And then secondly, let's go to the women. Let's talk about this. So if, if approach matters for the men, then here's the challenge for women. Make an approach. Make an approach. I promise you right now, anything that you, got, that you have in your wardrobe looks better in, in, in satin than it does in flannel. Promise you. Promise. Promise. Guys desire for there to be an approach for them as well. As men need to be careful about their approach... The challenge for women is to make an approach. I, I read a statistic the other day. I'm going to read this. It said 97% of men said getting enough sex wasn't actually enough for them. They wanted to feel wanted. One of the best things that a woman can do for her husband is not just to be available, but to be involved. Because there's nothing worse than a lame Spouse, this, there, there's no enjoyment. There's no God honoring in this when it's not reciprocated. Y'all with me? Remember, it's, it's, we're making love to a soul, to a person, not to an object, but to a person. And so you want to see reciprocation that's going on. Now, listen, I, I totally understand, and we can talk a little bit about this. I totally understand when, when um, it's been a rough day, or there's been long nights, or there's headaches. I mean, we've heard of all that stuff. Uh, but I, I want to tell you right now, life can be, un, can be complicated, it can be unpredictable, there can be things that are going on in your body. Listen, I understand all of that, and, and I'm not by any means wanting to heap guilt on that, or if there's reasons for stuff not being able to happen, then we want to see help and restoration and all that. But if you legitimately can, you should. If you legitimately as a wife can provide, because listen, nobody, okay, you have emotional needs, and you have needs in your life. Your man has emotional needs and physical needs. And I'm going to tell you right now, nobody can meet the physical needs of your husband more than you. Somebody can, but I promise you, you don't want them to. You are your husband's greatest minister. You are. I've heard Miss Tracy preach on this a lot, which I'm very grateful for. And you know what? For all of us as women, we need to understand 
The fact that you withhold that from a man to get back at him, that is wrong. That is wrong. That's not biblical at all, and that's not God-honoring. That destroys your marriage. It's what destroys your marriage. Now, guys, for you going in and treating her like a porn star, that'll destroy your marriage too. Both of those will destroy our marriages, but both of us have to get it right. We've got to get to a place where men are careful in their approach. Women are actually making an approach that women want to be involved because there's, there's nothing worse than having a wife that doesn't want to be involved in that at all. The, the satisfaction a man has is not in the act, but in the fact that it's making him and him, his wife closer. That's the desire. That is the hope. That's how God designed it. And I know life can be complicated, but sometimes, I, I mean, be honest with you, sometimes you got to plan it. Anybody in here like that? Sometimes you just got to put it on the calendar. Like Sunday fun day, okay? Just put it on there, write it on there. And that's like code word for you or like Monday madness or something or two for Tuesday or I don't know, wow, wow Wednesday or I, I'll keep going. I don't know. Freaky Friday or some. Just put it on. And if you've been doing all six days, then Saturday is Sabbath. You need to rest, okay? And just <laughs> let that go there. But maybe you just got to plan it. There's nothing better than when I get a text from my wife going, I can't wait till you get home, and a big old smiley face. And I'm like, oh, I want to be home. Let's finish this work. Are we done with this meeting? <laughs> you know? There's nothing better for a husband. I'm telling you, you will spark something in your in your marriage if you send a text like that to your husband. And men, you will spark something in your wife if you will leave a note before you leave for work and go, I love you, baby. You're beautiful. Thanks for all you do. So much of it is unforeseen. I tell you, that will speak volumes. The other day, Lindsay was going through a hard day, and I, you know, you know as a husband, I've said this before, you want to fix, you know, so you're sitting there listening, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, okay, I'm going to fix this situation. And, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, and then I'm, then I'm thinking about my message, and that doesn't work, and that doesn't work. No woman wants to be fixed. No. So I'm sitting there, and she's walking through just a rough day, and just a lot of stuff that was going on, and this is what I did. I, I prayed for her. I said, hey, let me pray for you. So I sat there, and I genuinely just prayed, because I, one, I didn't actually even know what to do, and I, there was really nothing that I could do. So I just prayed, and, you know, prayed over her, and then kissed her, and left, and went to work, and probably 15 min minutes later, she's like, you're the sexiest man I know. And I'm like, man, I need to pray more often. <laughs> do you know what that did to me that day? <laughs> Prayer works. Now listen, you don't pray to get, you pray to bless, but I can guarantee you that sometimes that blessing can come in other forms. But it was because of the fact that I engaged her heart, just met her right there in that moment and didn't try to fix. Now that's one of my successes. I'll share a couple of failures in a little bit. But sex is passionate. Look at, look at verse 6. It says, until the day breeze and the shadow flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. What did he just say? He says, baby, we're going to be here all night long. I'm not going anywhere. It's me and you. It's me and you. He's, he's letting her know, listen, I, I'm going away to the mountain. Like, he's not going away. He's like, I'm going away to the mountain. I'm, we are here. This is me. This is you. This is an intimate moment. This is in the Bible. This is some good stuff. All right. Now look with me in verse 7. Write this down. God-honoring sex is built on absolute trust. God-honoring sex is built on absolute trust. Now, before I read this, I, wa I want you to think about this. Jewish women are not like, not like American women. Jewish women actually covered up their stuff. <laughs> they weren't trying to find out as much as they could uncover. They were trying to cover as much stuff as they possibly can. Okay? So she didn't, he didn't get to see her in some bootylicious you know, yoga pants or anything like that. There ain't no deep V's or anything like that. That wasn't happening in this day. Like, everything was covered. So, listen. So they go into, this is a wedding night. They go into, and she is disrobing, and it's the first time he ever sees any of that. Now, I want you to think about this. How, 
What is she feeling at that moment? What is he feeling at that moment? Is he going to like this? Is this enough? What's his... You all with me? What? Now watch what he says, verse 7. You are altogether... What is it again? Beautiful. You're beautiful, my darling. Beautiful in every way. What's he doing again? I like what I see. I like what I see. What do you think, yet again, is happening to that fear, happening to that insecurity, happening to all of that is melting? Now, I say all that to say this. This is one of the most intimate, vulnerable moments that this woman has ever had. She's, I mean, you don't get any vulnerable than that. That's, that's 100% vulnerable. And yet he speaks to her and says, perfect. You're perfect. So let me say this. This is what we can learn from this. Never, ever, ever, ever criticize your spouse's body. Ever. Never. As men, we should always be speaking life into our women. Do you not think that they battle insecurity enough? They don't need yours on top of it. We as men speak life into our women. Now let me say this. This is wedding night. So she's at her peak and prime. So yeah, it's easy. She's like, you know, she's probably been crossfitting for like nine months to get ready for this thing. You know? So she's ready to go. But let's go decades down the road. Let's go babies. Have some babies. Let's go let life happen. Get a couple C-sections in on that. Get a, you with me here? The twin falls, twin fawns become twin falls. <laughs> Extra support. Extra, okay. The men's hair falls as well, often. Pounds maybe seem to multiply a bit. We get comfortable with one another. So your standard of beauty, men, is your wife. Let me say that again. Your standard of beauty is your wife. If your wife has a a big backside, you like big backsides. Your wife doesn't have a big backside, you don't like big backsides. Whatever your wife is like, that's what you like. That's what it is. She is your standard of beauty. And the same women for your hunk. Chunk may be, but he's still the hunk. Now listen, I'm not saying that you should not take care of your body because I think that's something that ends up happening as we get married and then we stop trying to trying to take care of our body. You should be. That's a way you honor your spouse is to be physically fit and to do that. But we know there's health issues, there's things that go on. And so, you know what? We understand all that. But if you can, like anything else, if you can do a couple push-ups or run a couple laps to help, then you should. You should. You should want to look the best for your spouse. I want to look as best as I possibly can for my spouse. I don't want to get married like, oh, oh well, I got you now. I can do whatever I want. Uh, eat all the gallons of ice cream, all right? So you don't do that. When you're dating, you're trying to put your best front on, and so don't lose that. You want to continue to do that. You want to continue to work for that. But you notice in here that it's built on absolute trust. He is speaking into her life, and it's built on trust. She trusts him. She trusts him. Number four, and this is the last one, God honoring sex is holy it's holy. What does holy mean? Holy simply means to be set apart for a special use. To be set apart for a special use. Now let's go to verse 12. Now watch this. It says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots or an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and, and alloys with the choice of spice, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, 
A garden lot is my sister. You know what it is? She's a virgin. She's a virgin. She's a garden that's been locked. And guess who's got the key? He does. And so then he says, not only am I going to unlock the gate and come on in, but he then begins to describe her. Now, here's the deal. Solomon knew how to, he was, he was, a, he was a guy who grew tons of plants and flowers. He had, he had flowers and trees and all that. He knew all about all that stuff. I mean, those were the things that he loved and he did. And here he is comparing his woman to some of the most expensive, most, um, um, what would be the word? Rare, exotic flowers and plants in the whole world. And he's using that to describe her. You're a garden, a fountain, a well, fresh water streaming down from Lebanon. He says, listen, you, are, you, you have saved yourself for me. And because of that, this is who you are and this is what you are. And he saved himself for her. Now listen, when, when sex is just physical, when we don't think that it's holy, when we think that it's just physical, what you do is you actually undercut the ability to create true intimacy. Yet again, let me, let me show you how this works. Let's look, at, let's look at porn again. Porn promises ultimate satisfaction and at the same time, simultaneously, removes true intimacy. At the same time, it promises you will always be satisfied with this. And at the same time, it rips out true intimacy from you. And, and God-honoring sex is holy and intimate because it's not with a screen or with a uh, mobile device or any of that. It's with a person. And so that is true because it doesn't, anybody can just have sex physically with somebody and not have to engage their soul in that. But God-honoring means my soul Everything is in me. It's creating. It's a holy moment that's happening here. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to strip the holiness away from you and make it just a physical act. And so what he says is it's just a physical act. Don't worry. You can just, just play around. Have fun. YOLO. Live it up. It's not a big deal. But here's the deal. Every time you do it, you lose something. Every time you do it with somebody else, you lose something. He doesn't tell you that part. He only tells you the part that's promising and fulfilling. That's why you go to Walmart and you look in the checkout aisle and the magazines, all the magazines that talk about sex are nine ways to be a better lover, seven areas to touch that'll make her feel good, three ways to, to make her scream. All of this is telling you how to have better technique, but none of them are telling you how to have intimacy. Because pornography and, 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 and going around and adultery and sleeping with other men, it, it lacks intimacy. So when you don't get true intimacy, what do you do? The only other thing you can do is work on your technique. I got to get better. I got to get better. Because why? Because you've got to compare yourself to other people because other people are hitting this as well. And so now you got to be better. Like, I've got to figure this out. And so you got to go read every magazine to think that that's actually going to make you sexually fulfilled. But the truth is it won't. That's why all the Hollywood marriages only last three or four years because it's built on physical intimacy, not emotional connections and souls. Are you with me? And when sexual union is just about the physical, it's just about the act, and it's not about this is a holy moment, when it's not about that, it will always be devastating and damaging and destructive. Always. Always. Because, I mean, let's be honest. I was a virgin. My wife was a virgin. I love that she saved herself for me. I love that I saved myself for her. And I don't know if any of you remember like your first time, your first night. But after it's over, you're like, is that it? Like, that's it? Thank God it was built on something more than just that. You know what I mean? Now, nobody on their first time was like, awesome. Everybody needs some work, okay? We can get better as time goes on. But it's not as fulfilling as the world promises that it is. Anybody that's been married in here for longer than a week <laughs> understands that it's great, but it's not all that it's meant. You know what I mean? It's just, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's holy. 
But there's so much more to a relationship than that. So much more. And when it's built on that, relationships don't last. They don't last. You know, Jesus said that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There's a reason that we say that sex is holy, because when you get married, you don't enter into a contract, you enter into a covenant. Y'all know the difference? See, we all think about contracts because you get a contract on your house, you get a contract on your cell phone bill, you get a con- I mean, everything in our, in our world is contracts. You buy a car, you got a contract. And so what we do is we take the contractual obligations that we have to our cell phone and our house, and we bring that into our relationships. And so we say, sign the dotted line, sign the dotted line, you sign the line, all right, you're in it. Hey, you know what? When, when, when you don't like it anymore, you can just get on out. Two-year plan. You know what? You can get out after two years. But there's a reason you say till death do us part and not till I don't feel happy anymore. You stand up here till death do us part. I do. The preacher doesn't say until you feel happy, until you stop feeling happy. I do. No, they say till death does us part. You know why? Because it's a covenant. And God's design in the covenant in the Old Testament was that when they would make a covenant, they would take a bull, they would slice the bull in half. It would be bleeding everywhere. They would part the bull, and they would walk in the middle of the bull. This is how the the covenants were made. They would walk, whatever covenant they were having in a relationship with, they would walk between the bull, and that was like a sign before God, this is a covenant that we're making. And so, follow me here. So God's design, his design, was that a man would save himself, a woman would save herself, they would make a covenant to each other in front of people, in front of God, that the two will leave mom and dad, they'll join together, and then they go into their wedding night, and there is a shedding of blood that happens for a first time that was a sign that this is covenant. This is the real deal. But as I said at the very beginning of this message, 73% of women have already had that before marriage. And 93% of men have already had that for marriage. So it's not holy. Now we're going to talk about that in just a minute. See, this is why sex is holy between a man and a woman because every time you share in the gift of sex, in a very real sense, you're renewing your vows. You know that? You're renewing your vows. You belong to me, I belong to you. You belong to me, I belong to you. Marriages that get in divorce, you know how you can start seeing signs? No sex. Because it's hard for me to be intimate with you when we're not connecting. So that's when you start, when you start seeing that start fading. You can start seeing, okay, something's up. Because God designed sex to be a holy, sacred thing that when, that, when you come together as one, it is, you're just constantly going, I belong to you. You belong to me. I belong to you. You belong to me. Now let's take Song of Solomon's 4 and compare it to 50 Shades of Grey. Which one you want? (laughs) If you don't think that sex is damaging and destructive, you watch how this is going to play out in our culture. You watch. Not only is that not God-honoring because that movie promotes just having sex with whoever you want, which that's not God-honoring already, but then the abuse that takes place within that is not honoring. What a woman ever wants to be... How distorted is that that I would want to be physically abused to feel more intimate with somebody? How, how much has... Satan twisted this thing. Every single woman that's in here, Song of Solomon chapter 4 gives you how to get the right man. Now I'm going to tell you something. You might have to wait. Because unfortunately, these guys are rare breeds. There's only one. Because if 93% are doing whatever they do, that means there's one. One out of ten out there. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Now, let me tell you what's happening right now 
as I'm talking about this, there are those of you right now and you're sitting next to your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you haven't done it right. You haven't. You're blowing it in this area. Maybe blew it last night. There's others of you that are in here and maybe you're a woman or maybe you're a man and you've been abused in this area of sex. So the fact when you heard we're talking about sex, there's something inside of you that's like, like almost makes you, it's almost repulsive. Because the way that it's been done to you has either been in a way that's taking something from you that you didn't choose to give, or it's been something that you've freely given away and now you look back and there's regret and there's shame and there's condemnation and, and, and you feel the guilt and the weight of that. I know that's going on in here. I'm not stupid. I mean, if that statistic is right, then that, that means maybe less than 10% of you actually were virgins before you got married. So I understand what we're dealing with here. But I want to share two stories, and I want us to end with these two stories. There's a story of, of, of a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. She is sleeping with a man. And, and caught in the act, the religious leaders went and tracked her down, caught her in the middle of the act, grabbed her out of the house, and drugged this woman to Jesus and threw this woman at Jesus' feet. Now, I say this all the time. Who's more perverted, the woman that was doing it or the guys who were watching her do it to try to bust her? And then secondly, I want to know, where was the man? Why didn't the man get thrown in Jesus' feet? But anyways, that's for another time. But the woman gets thrown at Jesus' feet naked, now, I want you to imagine this for a minute. Can we, can we enter into this for a minute? Imagine you have just been in an act with another man. That's not your husband. You've been, drug out. You've been caught in the middle of the act. You've been drug out of your house. You've been thrown at the feet of the most holiest man on the planet. What are you feeling at that moment? You think there's a little shame there? Think there's a little guilt there? I mean, we're talking about she's naked. You think there's a little regret there? I mean, what do you think's going on in her heart? And this is what happens. Jesus, the guys are going, you know what? The law says we need to stone her. We need to throw it. And they all got rocks. I mean, it's like they got rocks before they even caught her. They, went, they were like carrying rocks with them the whole way. Throw her down and says, the law says we're gonna, we need to steal them. And I love this because the Bible says that Jesus kneels down and he starts writing in the sand. I've always wanted to do this one day. I thought it would be sweet, just write in the sand. He writes in the sand and then he gets up. And I don't know what he wrote in the sand, but he wrote something in the sand and then he gets up and he says, he who's without sin cast the first stone. The Bible says from the youngest to the oldest, they start dropping the rocks and they leave. Woman's still there, crying, I'm sure, wailing, I'm sure, in a fetal position, feeling guilt and sorrow. And the Bible says that Jesus comes down, he picks up her head, he wipes off her tears, and he says, where are your condemners? Where are your accusers? They're not here? Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Like, what do you think she feels in that moment? Then you go to another story. Jesus is walking to Samaria, and he stops at a well called Jacob's Well. And there's a Samaritan woman that comes to the well. It's about noontime. Women, were not, women went and got water like at 6 in the morning for their family. This woman came at noon. Very weird. Why would she come at noon? Jesus shows up at the well, and Jesus didn't have a cup with him. And he said, hey, can you get me some water? First off, that was weird because men didn't really speak to women, and, and yet he was asking her for something. And so she gives him a cup of water, and they begin to have this dialogue, and he begins to start talking with her. And he begins to expose the fact that she, he says, you're married. Yes, I'm married. And he's like, yeah, you know what? You, what you said is right, but you're not married to one man. You're married to five. What was actually happening is this woman was actually trading sex for rent. That's what was going on. She was trading sex for rent. And Jesus begins to tell her, he says, you thirst for all of this, but here's the truth. If you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. 
Because what was happening was this woman was trying to quench her thirst with all of these men. And Jesus was bringing her back to the fact that that's like drinking sand. You'll never be satisfied. I'm the one who brings life. I'm the one who gives life. And in that moment, she realizes that. She goes back to her city and begins to tell everybody about Jesus. I say those two stories because that's just two of many stories throughout the scripture of what Jesus, Jesus is not scared about sexual issues. Jesus was born in the lineage of prostitutes. I mean, that's his lineage. He forgives David who, who had a whole sexual past and he even kills somebody and he forgives him. And so I want you to hear, hear me, hear me when I say this. The cross is the biggest sign that you're failing. We come to church and we feel like we don't have to share our failures or our weaknesses or we compartmentalize and and, and think that God doesn't see this part of our lives, but he sees it. He sees where you blow it. He sees where I blow it. He sees where we struggle. He knows that you're, you're drawn to sexual addictions. He knows that. The cross is the biggest example in the picture of God's love for you, despite you. That he still pursues you and loves you. And the picture of this prostitute on the ground and saying, you are forgiven, go and sin no more. The picture of this lady who is at the well, go and sin no more. There is no sexual thing that you've done that Jesus' blood can't forgive. Whether that's been taken from you or it's been given to you, if you will turn to Jesus, he is the one that will quench that thirst. And he will give you a relationship that is done right, that is truly intimate in your marriage, in your dating, in the courting. But listen to me, you should not, right now you feel guilt and shame and you feel regret and you feel all that. And you know what, you know why you feel that? Because it's sin. But Jesus comes the glory of the good news that Jesus comes from heaven and he takes that sin on his shoulders and he dies for that and he gives us his righteousness because he loves us and then he looks at us in the midst of our sin because we think, you know what, when I clean myself up, then God's going to really love me. No, God loves you now, all jacked up you right now. He doesn't like a future version of you. He loves you for who you are right now. And this is what he says over you. You're mine. You're mine. And so that's why he tells them, listen, your sins are forgiven. Go sin no more. God doesn't forgive us of our sins so we can go back to the filth. He forgives us so that we can now walk in the light and see true fulfillment in him. Amen.